Today's episode of the Ride Slow Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Getting great car and home insurance from State Farm is surprising great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all-pro, the real deal. Kind of like a Joe Thomas, six-time all-pro. That's the that's the important one, Kyle. Ten-time Pro Bowler. A lot of people make the Pro Bowl. Not every single year of their career, though, like Joe Thomas did, except for one, I think. State Farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you, and State Farm's got a great one. In addition to agency, award-winning mobile app helps manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game when you want the real deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter-player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Okay, what is good? We are ready to go. Joe Thomas is going to join us, NFL Network. We're going to talk about a bunch of different headlines and kind of the Browns at the top, nine and three Browns. What's up now? A little life advice at the end. One that I think is so funny. I'm so proud of Kyle for uh, picking this one out. Um, but we will as we start every week. Well, not always. We don't always start it this way, but we have it every week, and that's NFL Awards. Are you ready? Let's go. The first award for this week Oh, and don't worry. We'll get to uh, Bill and Tom legacy updates. All right, here we go. The Denver Airport Conspiracy Theory Award goes to, of course, the New York Jets. People love conspiracy theories and the Jets blowing that game uh, with zero coverage against the Raiders. We're going to get to a bunch of the stats on that, how rare that call actually was. Greg Williams has since been fired since you woke up this morning. How's your Greg Williams doing? Well, he's out as D coordinator of the Jets, but it does speak to how much everyone loves a conspiracy theory. So the reason I bring up the Denver airport is anybody that's ever been to Denver. uh, I wouldn't say the new international airport there. I think it's 25 years now. I've made the joke that it's actually located in Nebraska. Then you have to drive into downtown Denver for Nebraska. That's how far away it is. So that's brought up a bunch of different theories. Let's examine some of the conspiracy theories. Kyle, are you a conspiracy theory guy? I like a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it. I knew you loved it. Have you seen conspiracy theory with Mel Gibson? No. I think you'd like that. Is that a mistake? 
No, yeah. I mean, in 97, so I don't expect you to be on top of it. You know, it's 23 years ago. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, how old are you again? Uh, just turned Let 27. Me guess. Ah, shit. Damn. I was going to say 28. All right. Okay. Thanks, um, yeah, check it out. Yeah, yeah. All right. So here you go. Let's go over some of the uh, airport conspiracy theories. The airport was built by the New World Order with ties to Nazis. So I don't, I'm not up on my New World Order stuff. I don't know where those ties overlap. Another one is that the Freemasons, which are linked to the Illuminati, um, built helped build this because one of the main reasons I'm taking this from the text now is conspiracy theory has so much staying powers because the airport was much more expensive than originally projected. So how was the airport completed? Conspiracy theorists point to the Illuminati money, which some believe was used to finish Denver's construction in exchange for a secret society using the property. All right, just to back <laughs> up one, no way a major construction project went over budget. That never happens. All right. The other part, did the Illuminati, was there was their lease up somewhere else? Was the HQ, I, I don't know, did they get evicted? Why would they be like, look, the, the thing we really, a lot of the Freemasons that we hang out with, we're looking for a new hangout and we'd love it to be just near an airport. Back to um, our building. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, can we get the Illuminati's been linked to the Pac-12 with all their empty office space. Uh, I guess... And that's not a shot of the layoffs, just to cover that so everybody understands it. It's me making fun of Larry Scott. Um, I just don't, I don't understand. Because I guess the, originally, like, some of the construction wasn't done the right way, so they just built over it. And they're like, no, they built over that so they could have secret layers. Um, there are also <laughs> theories that some said the tunnels, uh, underground tunnels and bunkers possibly built by lizard people or aliens that will serve as a safe place for the world's elite during the apocalypse. So <laughs> Shout out to the aliens for building the tunnels for the 1%. Um, also, Denver Post reported that other theories say the tunnels lead directly to NORAD because they said, let's have tunnels that are really far away from NORAD. And apparently, they said it would have taken decades to do the tunnels the right way. Although this part is true, that big Bronco that they have up there with the red eyes, it's the sculpture. The sculptor of that sculpture was killed by a piece of that sculpture falling on him. So what? that's not a conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. So look, I mean, there's all sorts of imagery. There's all sorts of stuff. The airport like, hey, what's that? What's going on there? What's the symbolism there? Um, there's weird artwork. There's also different things that they say that all the, the landing strips are designed a certain way. I don't know. I, I just know people love it. People love it. And people love the idea that Greg Williams got the word from somebody that said, lose this game now, lose it on the last play so we get Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I was I was kidding when I said they could go down as one of the greatest plays in Jets history if it ends up getting them Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Lawrence turns out to be what a lot of us think he's going to be. But I don't believe it. I just don't. And I'll admit, as much as I'm entertained by it, I almost believe none of these. I, I don't, especially when it comes to sports. Like, oh, that's... They're doing this because of ratings. Oh, there's so much money involved. And as I ask anyone on any conspiracy theory in sports, I'll say, what would sports be like then if things weren't rigged? In this case, I think it's Greg Williams. I think that's all you need to know is that it was just Greg Williams. Because why were you trying the other 59 minutes? Why did you score and throw the football to go up 28-24 if you wanted to lose this game. Why did you, on the Waller completion that set up the Hail Mary, and it wasn't really a Hail Mary, but you understand the play that we're talking about, the Ruggs touchdown, why did you send four on the Waller play, and then the Raiders come up, spike the football, and then on the Aguilar incompletion down the middle where Aguilar got deep and behind the safeties, there still were multiple players. It wasn't one-on-one -on -one with Aguilar on some post. And then 
they've rushed seven with an eighth, I guess, that's spying Derek Carr. The the answer to this is not conspiracy. They figured it out in the last 50 seconds. I just don't buy that stuff. Maybe we'll find out one day, and maybe I'll be wrong. But I think your simple answer here is Greg Williams. So let's run over some numbers. From ESPN Stats and Info, there are 251 pass plays since 2006. That's how far back they go on these trackings, where you had to hit all three criteria. Final 15 seconds between a four- and eight-point lead, so you need the touchdown, 40-plus yards to go, Okay. The Jets are the only team to send six or more rushers in that scenario on now 252 times that this has come up. The only team that's ever done six or more rushers, they sent seven. Since 2000, offenses, this is from Mike Sando, were seven and 148 when trailing by four to eight points in the final 20 seconds with 30 to 50 yards to go for a touchdown. Um, Two of those seven victories have happened this year, and now that's three with Detroit over Atlanta, the Todd Gurley thing where he went in for the touchdown accidentally, and then the Hale Murray from Kyler Murray. So that was a .048 winning percentage in those scenarios. So look, they sent seven, but it wasn't like the seven guys on that rush weren't trying to get to Carr. They actually moved him off of his spot a little bit. Well, I've watched that play over and over and over again going, am I seeing anything where they would lie down? But why were they trying on all the other plays for 59 minutes if you were trying to lose that game? I think these guys wanted a win. I think every one of those players, as bad as this season is and as pointless as a win may be, and a win could cost you Trevor Lawrence, the guys suiting up every Sunday want to win a football game and stop getting laughed at and feeling like shit on Monday. So I love how people love lies. That's really what it comes down to. And speaking of loving lies, I'm working on a much bigger segment later on that topic. The Paul George bad quote award. I just can't help myself with Paul George lady. Um <laughs> He had, he had another awesome one recently. This is going to go to Boomer Esiason. Now, what is the Paul George bad quote award? It's just a quote that you go, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. It doesn't really mean anything right now. Um, and this isn't an anti-Boomer Esiason thing. And even he said, as I say this, it's going to turn into a bunch of different things. But he said this uh, on a show where he said, quote, all I know is that yesterday, Bill Cower was showing me and Nate Burleson. They all work on the CBS morning show, the pregame stuff. We've seen it all, right? He was showing me and Nate film of him coaching on the sideline. We were mic'd up, and we looked at each other and said, hmm, what does this mean, Esiason said? Is he sending a message? I've worked with him for 14 years, and I've never seen that. I can't believe we're back at the, is Bill Cowher going to coach again? We only did that for about 10 years. I believe he's been done for like 15. I'm good. And as I say about a lot of coaches, if you really, really love coaching and you want to do it, why haven't you done it in 15 years? People wanted Cowher all the time back in the day. They wanted that guy forever. And he just wasn't interested. And if somebody ends up not being super interested in that, I'm going to go ahead and pass. I'm not going to pay you five, six million dollars a year because you're thinking, hey, you know, it'd be huge is to just cash in one more time. Like I just, I don't, I wouldn't want to do that. Now, I don't know if that's this could be a Gruden thing. So I'm not 100% sure what's going on. It, I'm always a little scared when well not scared scared is the wrong word here but remember how Gruden would basically every time there was a chance to flirt with another franchise he would do it you want to know why he would do it because he would get a raise from ESPN I have to imagine Gruden set a record for number of raises while still under contract at at ESPN that anyone that I've ever worked with I mean it was you'd hear and be like wait what happened he'd be like oh they got worried he's gonna leave again they gave him another raise I don't know what the real number is it was always rumored and it worked out for Gruden good for Gruden but I don't that was the first thing I thought of it's like his assassin his cowards CBS contract up and that's why this is happening again not an anti-assassin thing now why is this the Paul George bad quote award because Paul George who recently 
lied about how he was using an offense with Doc Rivers because I don't think he understood. And then was like, yeah, man, they got me coming up a pin downs and Ray Allen and all that stuff. And then, of course, he was like, of course, I can do that. We've already played that quote for you last week. But just to recap Paul George on his career aspirations, he did say last week, quote, this is where my heart is. I want to retire a Clipper. When he re-signed with Oklahoma City, he said, quote, I'm here to stay. We can bring this thing home. And then before he requested a trade to the Lakers while he was still with the Pacers, he said, quote, my goal is to win one here. I never want to leave Indy. Paul George could get lunch with Cam Newton and then demand a trade to the Patriots by the end of the week. This may be my favorite one. Um, this is the Mayan Florio Award for the end of the world, and that's going to go to Mike Florio. The reason I call it the Mayan Florio Award is Mayan calendar has predicted the end of the world a few different times here, and Florio tweeted out before the Ravens' midweek game, he said, per source, this is his quote, this is his tweet. Per source, there are new fears of Ravens players refusing to play tomorrow night, which technically would be a Wildcat strike. It could create major issue between the NFL and NFLPA. If it happens, potentially, it could jeopardize the balance of the season. I checked my sources uh, this morning before I would address this, and as far as I could tell, they played a ton of games on Sunday. So I'm, I'm not... From what I remember, I think there was a full slate. Tweets like this drive me absolutely fucking crazy, okay? Now, let's do a little background on the end of the world stuff. I looked it up. Wikipedia, there were 167 end of the world predictions according to Wikipedia. And I got to tell you, business really picked up in the 90s. I went through them all. Uh, the <laughs> 90s just loved them, <laughs> okay? In, in 1999 alone, we had five, or excuse me, nine full-blown on the record. This is the end of the world. I think people were really playing into that 2000s. We're all marks for that stuff. Like, well, the end of the world can't be Tuesday. No, it has to be right as the, the calendar goes from you know, 1999 to 2000. Y2K, shout out to all the Y2K preppers, including my dad who bought about 100 boxes of peanut butter crackers. He was super worried about Y2K. Um, there's still maybe some crackers in that pantry from, from 20 years ago. Y2K, you know, look, it, it happened and then it, it, it kind of didn't. There was also one guy named Harold Camping. Uh, Christian radio fans may remember that name. Uh, maybe you just remember that name because he went 0 for 20 on end of the world predictions. So he'd be like, Hey, look, May 11th, it's going down. This whole thing is over. Reckoning is coming. And then it, nothing would happen as you know, cause we're still live now doing a podcast. The end of the world didn't happen. And then they'd be like, what happened? Harold. And he'd go, Oh, here in May 24th. Now he would literally just change the date <laughs> after he was wrong all the time. Harold camping was like the Mike Carey on end of world calls. And then at the end of Camping's career, where it was pretty much people were like, I don't know about this guy anymore. He's, he's not very good at this. Uh, he was like, you know, my bad. My bad on all those predictions that didn't work out. I should not have done that. And that in itself was a sin. So maybe he came full circle if you wanted the religious angle on all of that. So yes, it annoys me when you're tweeting out stuff that says, could jeopardize the balance of the season. Or, or they're going to play. Or that. I know this is hard. I know it's inconvenient for everyone. I know all of us have been inconvenienced in some way, some much more than others. I know less, so I don't complain. Um, and players are going to complain because players complain. It's their job. They're cooler than us. They get to do a lot 
cooler stuff and they're special. They've been special their whole lives. So you can have a real, it's not even a diva attitude, but you can lose perspective a little bit about how challenging times are going to be. Like the NBA season worries the hell out of me. I think there are going to be some real challenging moments where, you know, you get off a plane, you think you're playing a team and then guess what? They're, they're not cleared because they have a couple of COVID pop-ups. But I think those kinds of tweets, that kind of stuff that says potentially it could jeopardize the balance of the season when everybody like going, is it, is it really, or are they just going to keep playing? So yeah, there you go. Congrats on the award. Okay. Um, I can't believe I'm still doing this. I can't believe you guys are still taking, uh, we get a lot of requests for, Hey man, I can't believe what's going to happen with Tom and Bill. Okay. So I think at first glance, you'd be like, look, Bill has to be one. Tom has to be two. Tom didn't play bill six and six. They smashed the chargers. The chargers gave us one of the worst special teams performances that we've seen in a game in NFL history, by the way. Um, Pats have figured out who they are. Although defensively, their stats aren't even close to like what you would think. You got ground control, great defense, all that. Um, despite the blowout against the Chargers, it's it's not statistically a great defense. And, you know, Cam, the team was like one for six for its first six downs. 0 for five to start the game. But it didn't matter. Their special teams are terrific. And, and with this Cam, Damian Harris thing and the offensive line coming together, they this is who they are. They're going to run it right at you. They're not going to be... I don't know how they're going to beat any team that that can really throw... But they're 6-6, six and six and they've turned this thing around. So that means Bill's first. Wrong. Two things. Why, if Bill's so great, did it take this long to figure this out? Right? Right? If you're one, if you're, if you're the real power broker in this Tom-Bill dynamic, shouldn't you have figured this out before? Just fa- can't rule it out, right? And Tom had his house broken into. So dealing with that alone, we're going to talk off-the-field problems Tom's house is broken into in Mass, not in Tampa. So that that concerns me. I would have thought if there was one guy in Massachusetts whose house was off limits breaking it, that's like breaking into Larry Bird's condo. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> so I'm going to have Tom one, Bill two. Kyle, I noticed you had some energy there when we started talking about the break-in. Anything to add to that? Well, I think it's sad that some people, um, when, when Tom decided to leave the Patriots, they didn't turn completely on him but like he kind of was sour grapes it's okay to just like like him i just i don't like the patriots fan that's like yeah well, we, we don't fucking need him i don't know it's just annoying yeah he's not I wish there they could just be Belichick. grateful about it that's all I, I think that's such a small number man i think it's a really small number i think you might be right but uh they're loud enough so i don't even think they're all that loud like, did you see one brady Jersey burning because usually the guys that are doing that are just doing it for the retweets. Yeah, you're right. I didn't see any of those. Yeah, so I don't. I never saw that. I mean, honestly, I think that might be a felony in Massachusetts. So that's that could be a reason why guys don't do it. Although breaking into his place, life sentence. I don't know. They did it in know. Ted, and they were just big fans, right? Wahlberg and yeah. uh, McFarlane did it. So yeah, it was a movie though. That wasn't a documentary. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm going to have to research this a little bit more. Joe Thomas is going to join us here shortly. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where 
Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Joe Thomas joins us, NFL Network, and of course, a long, distinguished career with the Cleveland Browns, 10-time Pro Bowler. So let's start with the Browns. They're 9-3. and three. Uh, This is the question you must deal with just as soon as you walk out the door. Um, how good is this team? There's another part of this that I think is really positive, but yeah, we're playing with, with these expectations now. When you watch them throughout this point of the season, it's a great record. Who are they? Well, I'm much happier to be in this situation than the situation I'm usually in, which is how bad is this team? And so it's a lot of fun for me to be able to answer this question. And I really am. I'm a believer in the Browns because they've got an opportunistic defense that finds a way, even though they don't have a ton of talent in the back end, they find a way to be able to get turnovers, especially at important moments in the game. We saw that again this weekend. Um, They've got a front that's pretty good at stopping the run. Obviously, we know Miles Garrett. He's a great pass rusher, and he can get to the quarterback against anybody. So even though their defense isn't highly ranked, I think they still match up well on defense. Uh, Offensively, they got the best running attack in the NFL. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, everybody knows about those two guys. Baker Mayfield is progressing and getting better as the season goes on. He's eliminating the turnovers that plagued him earlier on in the season. He's starting to understand how he needs to play within that offense to win the game playing well outside the pocket, throwing the ball on the run. Don't make turnovers. If something's not there on third down, throw it away. Live to see another down. So I really like this team. I I think they match up well against pretty much anybody down the stretch, and I think that is what playoff football is all about. It's all about matchups, and I think the Browns have a great chance to match up well against anybody. Every week is an evaluation of, like, Baker's future, and I feel like there have been weeks where you go (laughs) – Hey, he's not getting that second contract. He is getting that second contract because that's really what separates it. And then, you know, we see even Philadelphia, like there's a no-brainer that Carson Wentz would be the next guy. Now we've seen how much he's struggled there. Baker's not struggled like that because the Wentz part of it's been brutal. But do you do you feel like at this point, like they do have their guy? I know that sounds crazy at nine and three, but I feel like again, we've done this every week with Baker. Yeah, that's the discussion that we've had with Baker, it seems like, almost for two years now because he had that great rookie season. He sets the touchdown passing record as a rookie, and I think at that point everybody said, well, if we see the trend line he's on, he's clearly going to be the franchise guy, and they're going to lock him up as soon as they can. Then he had the little uh, hiccup in year two, didn't play very well, and then he's been up and down in year three. He's on a great string right now. I think the last five or six games he's played very well in my opinion I know people have jumped on him for missing a few throws here and there but overall his biggest issue has been turnover worthy plays and he's really reduced those he's made the plays he needs to and he's trending in the right direction and so I think 
I'm not ready right now to say absolutely he is the franchise guy, pay him $30 million a year right now. But if he can continue the consistent play that he's been having in the last few weeks, that's what we want out of a franchise quarterback. You want consistent play. You want them to consistently put you in a position to win. And that's what Baker's done. So if he's able to do that the rest of the season, I think it's pretty safe to say that he's your franchise guy. Let's go back to Garrett because there'll be moments in a game where you're like, oh, okay. You know, and, and look, it's not like this should be breaking news. He's the number one pick. But some of the stats, the pressure stats, the deflected pass, like you just go, okay, number one rank, number one rank, number one rank. Where is he right now as far as edge guys in the NFL, in your opinion? Well, I think he's the number one edge guy. That's no question in my mind. I mean, I played against him when he was a rookie, just fresh off the boat his first time in the NFL, and he was whipping my butt in practice. So I have an okay, enormous amount of respect give me, for him. Give me your first impression Miles Garrett story when you lined up against each other. So my first impression was my 11th season, his rookie season. I was coming off of off-season knee surgery, so I didn't even really practice all that much in training camp, so I was kind of getting eased into it. But my very first practice going against him, and we're running a screen, which on a screen for a tackle, you're trying to get beat, but you're trying to get beat slow. And so you don't want the guy to just run free to the quarterback. Obviously, it totally blows up the screen, but you still want to kind of let him run around the edge. And so for me, I knew if I kind of took it about 90, 95%, I could get in his way long enough where he felt like he was winning and then I could let him buy me. But as soon as I took my set, he was already like a step past me. And uh, it didn't exactly work out the way I had planned because he ran right into the quarterback. And of course, everybody that's watching uh, from the sideline, all the media is there, like most training camps. And they're watching the first overall pick versus the old savvy vet. And he blows right past me. And, and they don't know it's a screen. So it looks even worse. It looks like he just ran right by me and sacked the quarterback without me touching him. But it was definitely sort of my... Uh, wake up moment that wow this guy is pretty good because a lot of times you see high, high draft picks we've seen a ton of them in Cleveland and they don't, just don't pan out they just right away when they hit the field um, they just don't have what it takes and you can see it pretty quickly but Miles was on the other side of it you saw him right off the bat and you knew he was going to be the guy and he was going to have what it takes to be a great player in this league and so going back to your question Best edge rusher in the NFL, no question. The only question in my mind is who's a better overall defensive lineman, him or Aaron Donald? So you actually think it's a conversation because I think people would be listening to this being like, wait a minute, Aaron Donald might be the greatest player at his yeah, position I mean, of all time. I, I, I've been the guy for the last couple of years saying Aaron Donald's the best player in the NFL right now. I don't think he's better than Miles right now, but I think that's a conversation that we could be having. And I think right now because the Browns have been bad, when you're on a bad team and you're a pass rusher, you don't get that many bites at the apple to rush the quarterback. So you don't yeah. have an opportunity to make those big plays that everybody notices. Aaron Donald's been on a really good team. And he's been dominant for a long time. And so Miles is a little bit behind him, but I think he's starting to make those big plays and the Browns are good enough right now that people are starting to notice, wow, this guy's unblockable. Like there's nobody in the NFL that's been able to handle him. Um, so it'll be fun to kind of see how that back and forth progresses in my opinion. Do you think the college part of it is that you can kind of get away with one move? Like if you're 6'6", 270, decent quickness, like you can just you can make make it work every Saturday for 3 years just with one move. No doubt. And that's a problem evaluating college pass rushers and I'll use um, Chase Young as an example. I think he's going to be a very good pro player, but when I watched him in college, everybody was kissing his ass about this is the greatest guy that's ever gone into the draft. And I said, well, well, let's pump the brakes, everybody, because he's only beating guys because he's faster than and bigger than them. He's just running around them. And 
when you're really good at one thing in college, there's nobody that can stop you. And Chase Young showed us in college that he was bigger and faster than everybody. And so he's just going to run around people. And that doesn't always translate to the NFL because all of a sudden the guys that you were seeing on Saturdays consistently, maybe during the fall, you had one guy who was an all American. Now you're playing everybody that was an all American and you're playing guys that are actually physically sort of on your level, maybe not the same level as Miles Garrett or Aaron Donald, but you're playing guys that are pretty big and pretty fast. And so you're not just going to be able to win with one move anymore. And so you have to develop the other parts of your game. And so I think for Chase Young to become the dominant pass rusher that we expect him to be, he's got to be able to develop those other moves. You've got to be able to develop those counter moves because just about every tackle you're going to face is going to be able to take away what you do best and it's going to be a matter of can you win with your second and third move, and that's where the guys like Aaron Donald, that's where the guys like Miles Garrett, they excel and they put themselves head and shoulders above everyone else. A lot of people were watching that Eagles game. It was in the second window, uh, as I mentioned before, kind of on the Baker topic. But Wentz, even if you weren't that into Wentz, I can't imagine anybody thought it would be this bad. And <laughs> I don't know if he was benched because they wanted to give Jalen a shot. At that point, I mean, the weird thing is they almost got back into that game. Mm-hmm. What do you see with Wentz? What would you do with this this quarterback situation if you're the Eagles the rest of the year? You know, my heart goes out to uh, Carson Wentz a little bit because he looks like a, a, a shattered brain. Like... When he's out there mentally, you can see that he can make all the throws. We've seen it in the past. You can see that he wants to throw the football in certain situations, but he's just afraid. Like he's afraid to let it rip. And when you're a quarterback, the most important thing that you have attribute wise is your decision making ability. Your ability to stand back there and quickly process what the defense is doing to you and throw the football where it needs to go. And Carson Wentz right now, he's afraid of his own shadow when he's back there because, first of all, his offensive line has had all sorts of injuries, so he's been getting hit a lot this season. But even the times he has been protected, he's afraid to throw the football because he's afraid to make the wrong decision. He's afraid to throw an interception to the other team. And when you have that as a quarterback, it, it sort of leads you to a paralysis. And you can't play quarterback with any sort of hesitation in your mind at all. And right now, he's playing quarterback with tons of hesitation and I think it was the right move to go to Jalen Hurts because nobody expected this like you mentioned the the guy was an MVP the year that they won the Super Bowl before he got hurt and we saw everything that you could possibly love in a quarterback and all of a sudden now he looks like a guy that doesn't even deserve to be a backup and it's it's really a big question mark but I I think it just leads to what's going on in his headspace and that he just doesn't have that confidence anymore. You played with a lot of quarterbacks over your career. What is that like? Is there a good example, a good story, maybe a good and bad example of like, hey, the team rallied around this next guy or it was just dreadful being at the facility every week knowing that our guy was about to get benched? I mean, you dealt with this quite a bit, so I imagine there's some examples. Yeah, we've gone back and forth with quarterbacks several times in my career, but I I would say one that really sticks out in my mind is we had Derek Anderson, who had been a Pro Bowl quarterback for us, and we had first-round pick Brady Quinn. I think both those guys had the ability to maybe be long-term starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but we benched Derek, we went Brady, then we benched Brady, and we went with Derek. And when you do that seesaw back and forth with quarterbacks, you destroy their confidence, and then you never give them an opportunity to build. Um, any sort of cohesion with the receiving core and those guys need time together they need confidence they need trust in each other that's built through practice and game time on Sundays and when you're constantly going back and forth between different quarterbacks you never build 
that trust and that understanding of timing and where each other expects them to be in the offense. And then outside of just receivers and quarterbacks, you erode the confidence of everybody on the team in the head coach's decision-making. And well, why did you go with this guy in the first place if you're only going to bench him? And then why did you bench him and go to the other guy if you're going to just go right back to the first guy? And so it really leads to sort of an erosion and confidence, I think, throughout the entire team if you do that back and forth. Um, but I think at this point with Doug Peterson, the call was right to go with Jalen Hurts. You needed a spark. You could see that Carson Wentz's confidence was destroyed. And you needed to give Carson an opportunity to really go to the bullpen and sit for several games and sort of maybe reevaluate things and get an opportunity to go and get back out there eventually somewhere down the road, whether it's with the Eagles or somebody else, and have a little bit more of that playing with nothing to lose mentality versus playing a tight, afraid to make a mistake mentality. And right now, Jalen Hurts has that nothing to lose mentality, right? He's kind of playing on house money. He's coming in for Carson. Expectations are not really high. And he's able to come in and let it rip and kind of give that team that spark. Seahawks lose to the Giants, uh, which, you know, again, we can talk about travel way, but, you know, there was a big push for Russell Wilson to be the MVP. It was almost becoming like a thing. I don't want to call it propaganda because it's, it's, it's not that, but it happens. It happens in pro sports leagues all the time where the media going out of camp will start talking somebody up and you're like, okay, now this guy is on the radar. We're supposed to pay attention to him. And for a while, it looked like it was going to make sense. Now, three straight games, he's had some turnover issues and he just, he looked lost and we knew Seattle's defense was bad and that wasn't the case this past weekend but what are you seeing right now with the Seattle team that maybe we thought had chances of getting out of the NFC well it's interesting because Russell Wilson like you said it was like a thing making Russell Wilson the yeah. MVP for the first time in his career because everyone loves Russell Wilson and he's playing great football and at the beginning of the season what he was doing was almost impossible to understand because he literally was just putting the entire team on his back. He had the worst defense in the NFL and somehow he was willing his team to win every single week. And he was doing it nearly flawlessly, like hardly throwing any interceptions. The ball was never touching the ground and you wondered how long he was going to be able to keep that up. And I think part of it has been, uh, they're not running the football as effectively as they were earlier on in the season, but there's just a little bit of a reversion to the mean right now with Russell uh, and I think when you ask one single player to do as much as they had in Seattle with Russell, eventually there's going to be a few mistakes that are going to happen. And he's going to kind of revert to what you expect out of that player, which is still greatness. But at the same time, you put so much on him and you put so much pressure on him to make the impossible play. Making that impossible play just can't happen every single Sunday. And so now that we're a little bit surprised it's not happening, I think they need to take some of the pressure off him and just put it back on some of the other guys, maybe run the football a little bit more, maybe give him some more easy completions. And it's a little bit of the Carson once where Carson felt like he had to make every single play himself with all the injuries around him. And it led to him maybe losing a little bit of confidence in what he could do. I'm not saying Russell has lost his confidence, but maybe they just need to take a little bit off his plate and, maybe give him some more easier completions, maybe run the football a little bit more and give him an opportunity within the flow of a normal offense to make some of those wild plays instead of expecting to make those wild plays every week. I, I love him as a player. You know, his whole story, like I, I used to argue, you know, in the beginning of his career when there was some comparison stuff, you know, we would try to figure out like who's the, who's the next one out of this young group. And Andrew Luck was still in that group. And I'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. Andrew Luck's doing what Russell Wilson's doing now, but Andrew Luck was doing that as a rookie where Russell was allowed to kind of evolve into somebody where the game plan was on him. He was asked to do very little in the beginning of his career. It was perfect work. They won a ton of games. They won a Super Bowl. But I, 
I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to be remotely critical of him, but how tough would it be to play O-line for him? Because I think there's so many times, yes, he can keep plays alive. His instincts are incredible. He's got movement in the pocket. He's got movement out of the pocket. He makes throws. I just don't think other guys even would attempt not to say that he's the best quarterback. But it's going to be brutal trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do once the play breaks down for him. And that's why I think his sack total has always been high. And it isn't just because the O-line has had some down years. It's because it's just, again, I'm kind of leading you in this direction, but it's going to be kind of frustrating to try to keep engaged the entire time, not even knowing what angle you're supposed to play at. Yeah, I think for an offensive lineman, it's important to keep like an optimistic view on your role as an offensive lineman for Russell. You've got a big smile on your face here. You got to have a, you got to have a smile and understand like, yeah, I'm probably going to get blamed for a lot more sacks than I should. And the fans are going to be the ones that are saying, ah, the offensive line, that left tackle, he sucks. He's given up, you know, five sacks this year when you're used to maybe giving up just one or two, but you got to understand that with the way that Russell Wilson extends plays, there's going to be a lot of good that's going to come from it. He's going to throw a lot of there is more touchdown good, right. passes. Yeah, right, absolutely. and so you got to kind of keep it all in perspective and understand, yeah, you know what, I might get a lot more blame than I should or that I'm used to, but Russell's going to make so many amazing plays that I'd rather have this than the quarterback that stands back there like a statue. Yeah, he throws the ball, and I don't get a lot of sacks, but we lose a lot of games, and he only completes 50% of the balls. And once it's third and six, I know it's no chance for us to pick it up. So um, with Russell, you kind of got to have a little bit maybe of a schoolyard mentality. Like, you know what? He might run around. I don't know where he's going to be. I can play as hard as I can. I got to laugh about it a little bit sometimes because I can't cry when I'm out there and my guy's hitting the quarterback. But uh, just play until you see the ball and you hear the crowd roaring one way or the other and uh, get back to the huddle and maybe laugh about it on Monday morning as a group. And I think that's part of the reason why offensive linemen, uh, for, we're, we're kind of sick and twisted people, but we have this like mushroom society with this club on Monday mornings that we're able to sit in those meeting rooms and complain about the running back, not in the <laughs> hole or complain about the quarterback, not throwing the ball on time, but we can do that in our little safe space. And that when we walk out of that, we realize that, you know, it's okay. We don't ever get the credit. We just get all the blame, but we kind of enjoy that because we are sick and twisted in our heads. Do you think offensive linemen should start pushing towards like a wide receiver or a corner where you go on the sideline and just lay into a teammate for missing a block <laughs> like a running back? Do you think O-linemen should get yeah. together and then start doing that more on Sundays? I feel like O-linemen need a union to be able to get together to be able to like control the uh, uh, the fans' perspective on what we do and and we could do it with ways like that. But I, I will say that you know you see the, the Tom Brady's going to the sideline and just chewing out a receiver if they're not in the right spot. Old linemen do that, but they do that in more subtle ways. And here's what I used to do, and here's what you'll see in the NFL. Like, if a quarterback gets sacked and he's laying there and an old lineman goes right over and picks him up, usually it's the offensive lineman's fault and he feels bad about it. But if the offensive lineman's there and the quarterback gets sacked and the old lineman walks back to the huddle and doesn't help him up, you know that that's his way of yelling at him. And in his head, he knows, you deserve that one. That's exactly what you get for hanging out on the football and not being where you were supposed to. So if you ever see that in the in the uh, Sunday on uh, the field, you know that that's the offensive lineman's way of getting back at the quarterback for screwing up. I'm going to start looking for that a little bit more. <laughs> I asked Joe Thomas to put together the teams that it wouldn't be a surprise to win a Super Bowl, so he's going to do that for us at the end here. But 2020 is the year of cancellations. And as the holidays arrive, we'll be saying farewell to one more tradition, work holiday parties, okay? But as it turns out, most of us never really like those parties anyway. Like, do I have to dress up? What kind of sweater? 
just started dating this girl. And now I have to go to a holiday party. And this is going to be weird. And people are going to ask if we're having kids. I'm like, actually, I'm still DMing people. Um, and with work parties canceled, we can get something we actually want for the holidays. More time with our real friends, or as we call it, Miller time. Holiday parties can definitely be awkward because you're basically jumping into if it, if it's a date or a marriage, you know, something serious like that, you're jumping into their world and then you kind of see their work world. And for some people, they already know it. But other people, it's like this one time a year thing where you're like, oh, you're Dave. I heard a lot about you. <laughs> um, and for me, whenever I would get asked to go, which was rare, and then we stopped having them uh, at ESPN, but it would just be like, oh, you work in sports. You just go like, you know, you just get peppered with questions. You turn and like, hey, this guy, this guy over here. Hey, ask him, ask him who the Jets are going to draft. He's Trevor Lawrence. Can I have another Miller Lite? Take away the forced fun of work holiday parties. And what you have left is Miller time with the people who you actually want to have a beer with. To give work holiday parties a proper send off, Miller Lite is teaming up with visual artist Alex Prager for a full exhibit called Farewell Work Holiday Parties. Why? Nothing says farewell to an old tradition like seeing it in a museum. To celebrate all that extra Miller time with your real friends this season, whether it's virtual or not, get great tasting, less filling Miller Lite delivered by going to MillerLite.com and find the delivery options near you. Tis Miller time. And if you're in LA, check out Farewell Work Parties, the exhibit at LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art, this season, November 21st, January 7th. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. This is something I touched on in the open. I have my own thoughts, so I'm, I'm not going to tell you un until maybe I, I'm done hearing what you have to say. But did the Jets no. lose that game on purpose? No. So, first of all, the whole coaching staff in New York know they're going to get fired. And actually, Greg Williams, I think, already got fired today. Yeah, he got so, fired. So, so they know they're getting fired. So there's no reason that they want to give the people that are about to fire them a gift of going 0-16 and getting the number one overall pick and being able to pick Trevor Lawrence and then the next coaching staff have success. So the coaching staff is not trying to lose. And, and they definitely don't want to have 0-16 on their coaching record, which you know the coaches that I've been around that had that, that's a stink that's hard to get rid of. Like It's hard to get jobs after being that bad, unfortunately, for maybe it is your fault, maybe it isn't your fault, but that sticks with you. So they don't want to lose. And they're not doing that on purpose. What I will say is, if you go back and watch Greg Williams, that's exactly who he is. He's aggressive. He doesn't do what the conventional wisdom is. 2015, I'm with the Browns and we were playing the St. Louis Rams at the time. Greg Williams is the defensive coordinator. It's the end of the half. We're running a Hail Mary from midfield. And it was the first time I've ever seen they've blitzed the house. They blitzed both corners against us. They crushed our quarterback. They prevented us from throwing the football and even getting an opportunity to throw a Hail Mary, which is a probably a higher percentage odds of success than most people realize. So Greg Williams throughout his career, even when he was in Cleveland and Everywhere he's gone really has been the guy that says, I would rather blitz you and try to hit the quarterback and not allow you to throw the Hail Mary than to sit back in the prevent defense like most fans would expect and most coordinators would do because you're going to get less flack if it doesn't work when you're in a prevent defense than if you blitz. And so if you didn't like a defensive coordinator who's going to be aggressive and who's going to buck conventional wisdom and who's going to blitz a Hail Mary, then you shouldn't have hired Greg Williams. So if Adam Gaze wants to fire somebody for blitzing uh, at the end of a game in a Hail Mary situation and losing the game, he should fire himself because that's who Greg Williams has always been. And for the fans that are 
you know, beside themselves that the, the, the Jets blitz, they're probably the same fans that are going to bitch and moan when the team plays prevent defense and the offense moves their way down the field and gets an easy opportunity to, to score at the end of a game. And so for fans, it's, it's fun for us because we can be Monday morning quarterbacks and we can have it both ways and whatever the defense does and it doesn't work, we can say they should have done the opposite. But in the end, this is exactly who Greg Williams is. And I wasn't surprised that he did that. Usually it works. It didn't work this time. And that's just what you have to handle when you're a coordinator. The oddity of this team, it's not the only team to do it. So you don't want to mix it. But when it's a Greg Williams personality, it's an Adam Gase personality, you're setting yourself up for failure when they're basically like, look, to Gase, you're the head coach, but we're hiring Greg Williams. We are hiring him separate of you. And knowing the way Greg Williams is, where he's almost laughed about not having to answer to anyone, you go, why Why would you want this dynamic? Especially when you know it's probably going to be a tough season. Why would you add another dynamic to this that's probably going to be challenging for everybody? And as players, this is probably part of it. It's like, look, we just want to go out there and play. Like, I don't want to hear about Greg Williams laughing about the idea that he's not beholden to anything Gase says. So I, I don't even know why you'd want to put a franchise even in that kind of challenging spot anyway. Well, I think that's a question for the people that are doing the hiring in that situation. You know, when I was in Cleveland, we had every iteration imaginable about setting up the structure of an organization. We had a president hiring a general manager who hires a head coach. We had a president who would hire a general manager and head coach separately. We had a head coach who was acting as the owner who got to hire the general manager. And so unless you get everybody on the same page, it's going to be drama from the start. And that's what it's been in New York, because if you don't get a head coach that's able to hire his coaches and be on the same page with the GM. When you have inevitable situations that come up and losing that comes up with every team in the NFL, it's just going to be this endless stream of drama. And so you can't be surprised when you have drama and losing if you don't get everybody in that organization on the same page. And when you don't hire them together, you know that you're going to get that. And so I don't know why front offices continue to do this because it just handicaps your team and your head coach decision when you do hire these guys independently, especially a guy like Greg Williams, who I've worked with, who's a little bit tough to get along with sometimes. I mean, you kind of can see the writing on the wall even before you hire these guys. I couldn't believe this when I looked it up and I, I sent it to you ahead of time. You've played for Romeo Cornell, Mangini, Pat Shermer, Chudzinski, Mike Pettin, Hugh Jackson. You want to rank them from your favorite to least favorite? No, I'm just kidding. I, you probably, well, unless you want to. I don't know. Some guys are real vindictive. On, on I don't know show. if that would be really exciting. <laughs> uh, zero playoff performances by any of them. That You know what's crazy? You went 10-6 and six your rookie year, mm-hmm. and you never had a winning record yeah. after that. And to, to just say 10-6, and six, the best it's ever going to be. But you never had an in-season coaching change, did you? I, when I looked that up, I was like, is that even right? How did that happen? How did, well, how did no one ever lose their job with the Browns the whole time you were there? Well, they didn't lose it in season right, right, by yeah. the letter of the law, but we had times where we'd fire the general manager in the season and we bring in a new GM or a new president and they decided that the best course for the team was just to let the coach basically be a lame duck coach for the rest of the season because I think generally speaking, people that are on the inside in the NFL, they understand If you fire a coach in the middle of the season, it really doesn't do anything except it kind of lets the inmates run the asylum Um, at that point. It's like having a substitute teacher, right? You pull in an interim coach and you've seen in in, uh, Atlanta, you've seen already this last weekend in Detroit, usually you get a little spark, a little pop. You get a couple games. The team plays pretty well. There's a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm with the new coach, the interim coach. But then 
the the new coach he's got uh nothing no legs to stand on because everybody in that locker room knows that he's not going to be the coach next year and there's really nothing to play for they're not going to the playoffs and so you just don't get a whole lot out of your team down the stretch there's nothing for them to play for the head coach has no ability to enforce discipline, has no ability to enforce his offense or his defense because everybody knows it's going to be different at the end of the season and the closer to the end of the season, the less effort you're going to get with your substitute teacher. And so I think that was a big reason why we never had season coaching changes. And, you know, you hear some people say, well, they want to get a head start on finding the next head coach. I mean, you don't think your owner's going and flying all over the country doing interviews and finding the next head coach after he's already fired his GM and his president. Yeah, the head coach might still be there, but that doesn't mean that they're not already looking for the next head coach. And so I think that is kind of a hollow argument. As a leader um, for that team, and and that's certainly what you were, uh, do you have moments where you have to go to the head coach and go, hey, look, and especially considering it didn't work very often, were you asked by your teammates to address the coach about stuff that they were pissed off about? Yeah, as a captain, as a leader. How'd you handle that? I mean, I was happy to do that because, one, it showed leadership to the coach, so they understood that everybody on the roster respected you as sort of the conduit between the players and the coach. Um, But it also was a way for you to gain respect in the locker room so that the players knew, hey, this guy's got my back. It, it went both ways, and I thought it was a really good situation to be in, especially as an older player, to kind of get the respect not only from the coaching staff uh, in the front office, but also from the players. And so it, it's it's a lot of responsibility, but it was something that I think most guys enjoy. Yeah, it makes it a little bit tough, but I think it, it sort of hardens you as a player, as a leader, to be able to go to your boss and maybe tell him something that he doesn't like. I, I think that makes you a better person. It makes you a better man. It makes you a better leader in the end. And he might say, you know, screw off. But at least you feel like a, as a, a player, you okay, and but- the other players <laughs> had an opportunity to, you know, voice your opinions. But see, you, for for the younger listeners here, and I, I think most people remember this. It's not like it was that long ago. It's only been a couple of years you're out of the league. You were a beloved player. You were beloved locally because you were this guy going through all these losing seasons. You you basically play every game, every snap, your entire career up until the end. You make all these Pro Bowls, all pro. I mean, the resume is insane. Which coach was ever going to tell you, like, to fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh when it, when I, when my request was, Coach, I'd like to practice less because my guys are tired, usually the response was, fuck off, we're going to do what we want to do because I'm the one that's going to get fired if we don't play well on Sunday. Um, so that, that was typically what uh, the response was from the coaching staff. But I think as long as you, you did it in a diplomatic way, coaches were receptive, and they wanted to hear what the players had to say. And, and I think as a coach, you want to know what the pulse of the locker room is. You want to know what your players are feeling. And, and I think you got to have a player or two in that locker room who's able to give you the honest truth. And as a leader, one of the most important things is being able to give a unbiased and unfiltered opinion of what is going on on the practice field, in the meeting room, in the locker room, and what the players are feeling and vice versa with the coaches. Like if the coaches feel the players are fucking up in practice and screwing around in meetings and not giving what type of extra effort they want to see, like it's up to them to come to me as a leader 
because they know that a lot of times I'm going to be able to get through to the players better than they will standing up there and bemoaning the, the, the state of the practice in front of the team during a meeting because most players are going to kind of tune out a head coach that does that anyway. So uh, I do think it goes both ways, and I think it's an important role for any team to have somebody in that leadership position in a locker room that's playing to be able to you know kind of be that conduit. I asked you as we finish up here to look at kind of that surprise list. I always like doing this with different guys where you go, okay, this, these teams could win the Super Bowl and we wouldn't go, well, how the hell did that happen? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have a list up. I can run through the top ones in the playoff standings. Uh, I just never know if it's more than four or five teams. The AFC feels de- – I mean, when you start looking at like Baltimore, granted, they're six and five, which is kind of surprising again, but they're, mm-hmm. they're the ninth seed. Yeah. Um, all right, so Pittsburgh, Kansas City. Is there anyone after that that you'd go? Because I still think Cleveland at nine and three, if they won the Super Bowl, we'd go, huh? That's weird. We'd be surprised, but I think part of that is not necessarily how they've played or how they've looked this season. It's just the recent history, right? Like Cleveland, yeah. we, we've been so bad for so long, and last year we were really bad. So the fact that we're nine and three right now is a surprise. And if you won the Super Bowl, being that we've never won one before, people are like, "Wow, that that was a surprise." But I think when when you drill down and you look at like the AFC field, any one of those teams. I mean, I would even say Buffalo. I'd throw Buffalo out there. So I'd would throw you Tennessee throw Buffalo out there? I'd throw Indy out there. Like when you look at the history of the NFL playoffs, especially this year because it's so unique. Like there, I feel like there's more variables that go into the playoff run this season than ever before, which to me opens up the field to even more teams uh, that you're not used to seeing out there, especially with New England being doggy doo doo. Like without New England, it really opens things up so much more because you know in past years somebody's who's might be a pretty good team is going to run into new england and they're going to knock them out like they're going to be the truth serum of some crappy team but i don't know if there is a truth serum right now in the afc especially with kansas city relying so much on that high-powered offense and already have lost have a loss to las vegas like i could see kansas city in a bad matchup losing to any one of those teams that i mentioned in the playoffs Okay, all right. So wider field there in the AFC. I think the other part of it is the one seed having to buy the seventh seed. It's going to be tough for when the Colts are sitting there at eight and four now with four games to go. You know, it's just, I mean, maybe Vegas can catch him, but now I'm looking at Vegas entirely. Like the last two weeks, I go, all right, wait, am I supposed to think these guys suck now? Whereas the NFC, okay, let's do it this way. List the number of teams where you stop after, okay, this would be a surprise. I imagine you're not going to put the five and seven Giants in that first group, although they are no, the four seed. There's no NFC East teams, spoiler alert, in yes, my, uh, I, I, I has a chance so. to win the Super Bowl list. Um, no, I went through this list, and I, I had almost 13 teams that I said, what? you know what, they could win the Super Bowl. And maybe our perspective on this is a little bit different. Maybe you're the hater fan that's saying, ah, I'm not the no hater chance. fan. I'm, I'm just a guy that's surprised. making a case. Yes, okay, all right, I'm, go ahead. I'm a guy that said I could make a case for about 13 teams. And when you look at the NFC, it's smaller than the AFC, clearly. But I got Green Bay, New Orleans. I think we'd probably agree on that. Yep. I think Tampa Bay has not looked good recently, and you can easily poo-poo them. But then you remember, oh, wait, they got a ton of weapons. They got Tom Brady. They've had a defense that has been really good at times. And so they could easily get hot in the playoffs and make a run and win the Super Bowl. The Rams, I mean, they played better on Sunday. They had this Jared Goff interception streak going on. But clear that up all of a sudden you're saying yeah they're a legitimate contender and you know seattle has had a lot of question marks recently but 
if you go back five games, people were saying, hey, maybe they may be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, when you have a great quarterback, a generational talent at quarterback like that, all of a sudden you're, you can easily make a case for you in your head that if guys kind of raise their game a little bit around them, that's the type of player that can get hot in the playoffs and go on a five-game streak and win the Super Bowl. Yeah, the Rams. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me, well, tell me which one of those NFC teams you don't like. No, I'm with you on the Bucks. I think the Bucks are almost like dumped on a little too much because their games have been the marquee matchups, and in those games, they've been yeah. atrocious. Yes, like they've saved their apps. Like these are some of the worst games <laughs> they've we've saved seen their in best tra- for prime right, time, right? right. <laughs> or the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's like Andy Dalton if he were a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> couldn't help myself. Uh, the Rams, though, they should feel good about knowing the Niners can't really be in the playoffs. And if, if that's the yeah, case, then, right? then, you know, look, I can't believe they lost to them twice. And I thought they looked really good against Arizona. Although I think the last couple of weeks, Arizona, I don't know if yeah. people figuring them out. Kyler wasn't healthy two weeks ago against New England. Right. You could see the short yardage situations. They were a little hesitant to use them the way they'd use them earlier yeah. in the year. So right. um, there's been a resetting, it feels like, of the NFC. And even yeah. the Vikings with the horrible start and getting to 500, even though they still lose to Jacksonville, like that's a talented football team. They just are. Right. Um, yeah. and, and with that extra seed, it's something to bring up. Yeah, I think it's not the NBA. It's not a best of seven series. Like you get hot, you've got a great quarterback. You can easily make a run through the playoffs and win the Super Bowl. And I think that's why the NFL is so popular. I mean, that's why it's so much fun because we're making a case for almost half the league that they legitimately, you could make a case in your brain, especially if you're a fan of that fan base, of that team, yeah. that they could be in the Super Bowl and they could win it. Hey, Joe, that was awesome. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. And uh, if I can repay the favor, you let me know, all right? Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Life advice just moments away, but by now, you've probably heard about FanDuel Sportsbook, world-class sports betting app. It's amazing. Get it. Put it on your phone, sitting around, especially holidays, kind of hanging out. Maybe you're somewhere you're not normally used to being like, hey, sorry, I'm on my phone betting games. Leave me alone. Well, there's a reason why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel makes it easy to find and place your bets. They've got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay. And I'm telling you, like if you're with somebody and you're trying to kill some time, it's actually kind of like going to the movies, except you can do it from home. You can do it from your phone because now you're invested. All right. So fun bet types, like we said, same game parlay and exclusive always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. If you win, they even get you your winnings safely in as little as 24 hours. Each week, FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new users NFL odds boost on the most relevant matchups of the week. This week, new users can get plus 1,500. That's 15 to 1 odds on either the New England Patriots or the Los Angeles Rams. Just place a bet up to $5 to win $75, okay? I got to tell you, right now, the way the Pats are playing, and granted, they're going to be... Say it. No, they're figuring some stuff out here. They absolutely are figuring some stuff out, and... Their comfort level with McVay in golf, although you got to imagine McVay's been looking forward to this game ever since the Super Bowl because people just felt like he was super predictable in that game. And that once the Pats were like, I'm, I'll never look of all the nine Super Bowls, the Pats Super Bowls that I've gone to, I haven't gone to the games, but because of work, you know, going to Super Bowl week, that's basically the number one thing for guys in my industry is that, you know, it's Super Bowl week. It's almost like a media convention thing. That was the uh, arrogance, the wrong word, but like, hey, what do you think of the game? Talking to different Pats people. I'm not talking like front office, but just people around it. And it was the most dismissive of any Super Bowl opponent 
New England. I, like I couldn't believe. Like I was like, wow. You know, usually these guys will come up with something, and it was like, no, like this is not going to be that hard. It's not going to be that hard. Uh-huh. I was like, wow. And, and look, there's still a, a score there that makes it look like it's a close game. So Rams fans certainly already annoyed um, because they're thinking, hey, that thing was actually close. They swallowed you up in that one. So fifteen to one odds on New England promo. I say go for it. All right. If you've never tried FanDuel Sportsbook, what are you waiting for? Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started. Be sure to sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N, so they know I sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey, PA, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee. Must wager on designated boost market. Deposit required. Max bonus $75. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. In Colorado, 1-800-BETS. Off in Iowa, 1-800-9 with Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLING, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. Tennessee or visit www.1800gambler.net. West Virginia. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. We've got a couple here, one very different, so I'm excited about it. Uh, this one is a little bit more standard, but it's a bit of a bummer. So we'll, uh, we'll try to get through this one. All right, here we go. Not going to give my name. All right, done, no problem. We haven't really been reading them anyway. I'm 35, not a 10, maybe a seven high five figure salary. I could make more if I was willing to move, but I live in the South cost of living dirt cheap. High five figures here is better than six figures in a city. I would agree. I've looked at the real estate. I've been married for three years, dated five years of prior marriage. So that's eight years together. When we started dating, I was going through a divorce. I didn't cheat on my ex-wife and my current wife, but we did start dating before my divorce was finalized. My wife at the time and I were separated after my divorce. We finally uh, eventually moved in together after a few years, got engaged for over a year and married, so we never rushed anything. All right, you didn't. And by the way, I, I like how you're kind of pointing that out at the beginning because I just think with divorces, I'm amazed sometimes how over it both parties can be in a divorce where you know, I've seen people live together, which I think is, I mean, look, economically, if you have to pull it off, especially with stuff going on right now, I would rather sleep in a in a CVS bag than live with a, a woman I was divorcing. Terrifying. Yeah, I just would be like, I don't know, look, I'll be outside. <laughs> I'll come by and grab some compression shorts from time to time. But I, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes when people can read this stuff, they'll say like, oh, well, wait, you know, are you planting the seed for how you kind of turn? No, you, dude, you were divorced. You were getting divorced. You started talking to somebody. You mentioned you didn't cheat on your wife. We're going to take you for your word. So, all right, fine. All right. So he says about a year ago, his wife became more distant. We stopped having the fun together that we both had. We settled into our routines that didn't involve each other as much, which I think is unfortunately part of marriage. So I don't think that that's super unique, but I, I get it. Okay. Monday before Thanksgiving, I was home early and sent her a text message. Her Apple watch was on the floor and vibrated when I sent the message without knowing why. I picked up the watch and looked at her messages. What did I find? No surprise. Message between her and another man. I read them over. It did not appear there were any sexual relations between them. I confronted her. And she admitted that she'd been texting and seeing this other man in a couple of occasions. She said they kissed, but nothing more. The communication lasted about a week and a half. Phone records in an unannounced search. So you went you went in. So he looked at the phone records in an unannounced search through my wife's Facebook messenger, confirmed this. We separated for a few days while I both clear our heads and decided what to do next. After talking, we decided to go to therapy and try to make things work. Okay. Um, she said she'd been texting him and met up with him. She said they kissed, but nothing more. 
when people cheat, I feel like kissed is like code word for yeah, we didn't we didn't just kiss. I'm not trying to pull me out here, but that that's been my experience with that. I'm like, oh, we just kissed. <laughs> really? Okay. Um unfortunately, a week later the same scenario happened. All right, so that's a week later. All right. I sent her a text message. Her Apple watch vibrated. And sure enough, I was looking at the watch again. This time I found out she'd had an eight month affair with her boss who was also doing some side work on her house in the basement. Oh, no, Oh man. I didn't suspect the boss initially, which is why I didn't read their messages the first time when I confronted her with this. She again admitted the truth. She told me I'd become a different person since we married. She didn't think I loved her anymore. The reality is that I battled clinical depression. And after a medication change, I essentially was a zombie for 11 months. I still love my wife very much, but this affair has broken me. She's come clean about everything, but obviously my trust is shattered. The problem I keep running into is that I'm still in love with her and want to forgive her and try to make it work. I've never understood why someone would stay with somebody after they cheated on them, but now that I'm in this situation, I'm looking at it differently. Yeah, she fucked up major, but I also wasn't there for her like I should have been. I checked out for other reasons, um, which I feel is why this went on so long without me noticing. We were the happiest couple before the past year. I feel like we can get back to that place or maybe even a stronger one. My question is, does my wife just suck or do I need to try to work on things? Thanks for the advice. Okay. This is obviously very complicated and it's also you. It's, it's you and this is a repetitive thing, but I know that there's nothing easier than all of us, every guy listening to this right now, and I'm sure some of the women that listen to the podcast, because she's, she's in the wrong, screw her, bounce, okay? But none of these people that are giving you this advice or me reading this are emotionally attached to the way this you're emotionally attached to the one person, all right? So that goes without saying, that's not super insightful. So any decision here, it, it can't be about like what you're supposed to do or what the rules are supposed to be. I personally would couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And the fact that there's a guy that she's worked for, so like she had a chance to be truthful about the boss the first time she got busted. So that means she didn't, go like, hey, here's the bigger picture thing. She was like, maybe I can get away with this other thing. I don't believe her about the kiss thing because she didn't tell you the truth about the boss the whole time. And honestly, like the fact that this piece of shit guy would be in my house working my fucking basement while he's also hooking up with my wife. Like, you know, again, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, Mel Gibson ransom here, but I have a real hard time processing these things. Okay. A girl I dated one time, I, I don't even know if it's true or not, but there was like a maintenance guy that worked in our neighborhood. And I think they might've hung out and Somebody was like, oh, you should have him come by and, and fix something again. I was like, nah, I don't think so. And they're like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I think there's something happened there. They're like, yeah, but who are you mad at? Him, like her or the maintenance guy? I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I was like, I'm just out. He's not doing any maintenance here anymore. I know that. And they're like, do you even know if it happened or not? I was like, no, absolutely not. But I'm just going to imagine that it did. And that guy's not coming by to fix my so fucking I can water sleep. heater. All right. Yeah. So, so, all right. I'm not paying somebody to fix my water heater that may have been with somebody that I cared about. Don't you understand that? What's wrong with you? So, yes, I know that sounds psychotic. So I'm probably not always the best person to ask when it comes to this stuff because I would have a real hard time with this. Um, so, you know, the boss thing with her. Again, he's in your house, man. So that that's the part that I have a hard time with. But you went through something real tough here. Um, I can imagine, you know, going through what you went through and then seeing how you know, you can, you can see if you're really close enough with somebody who actually changes up their medication and you can see, you know, some of the stuff where you, you can kind of detach a little bit, uh, you can become a bit of a muted version of yourself. And if that's why she started exploring other things, um, you know, I, I think it's cool that you're allowing for yourself to be blamed a little bit here instead of, you know, all of us as, as men trying to be tough guys about it and just blame everybody else. But you know, she had an eight month affair 
I think you're giving her too much credit for being honest because she wasn't honest about the boss the first time around. All right. She tried to get away with that until she got busted again. So I think you should stop giving her the benefit of the doubt as much. And if you're what, three months into a medication change and then she'd had an eight month affair, what did she do? Give you three months of being a little different before she started exploring other things. That's not great. You know, I'm not saying like, hey, after 12 months of being different, you're allowed to cheat on your spouse, but three months, that's too soon. So, it's really going to come down to nothing I say or anyone else says. People are going to give you all sorts of advice. There's going to be a lot of people that say, hey, bounce. But if you're going to be more miserable not being with this person, and clearly you need to work on some things, you know, that's that sucks. Because I think that a lot of times all of us, male, female, have come down to that conclusion where you just you go, I'm so scared of how sad I'm going to be without this person, even though being with this person is not going to be the same because it's never going to be the same. You're never going to trust her the way you did before. And I kind of, I don't know if commend is the right thing. You don't even have any kids. Um, but again, sometimes staying together because of the kids is actually the worst thing for the kids. But you know, everybody's situation is a little different here, but I'm not saying there are holes here. I just think that as much as I think it's kind of cool that you're also blaming yourself for part of this, you're blaming yourself probably a little bit more than you should, considering it sounds like it was a couple months of you changing the medication and she decided to start hanging out with a guy that was in your house fixing stuff. So, um, and like everything, once you move on, I know it seems impossible, but there'll just be magically a day where you don't care anymore. And it happens. It's life. You never think you're going to get to that day. And then the day happens and you're like, wow, I don't care anymore. This is crazy. And then maybe you care for like another year and you're like, oh, remember that day I thought I didn't care? And then after that year, <laughs> you actually won't care. And then normally they usually will call you back and be like, hey, thinking about you. And that's why Swingers is one of my favorite movies Hope ever. Well, because they right? absolutely nailed it. Yeah. Hey, just, just thinking about you. It's the holidays. Yeah? Were you thinking about me when I was writing a check to your boss for fixing our vents? <laughs> okay, last one. This is, um, we're, we're noticing more and more fake ones. But we're... The IT team is sifting through these vigorously. So, okay. Uh, this is great. This one just made me laugh because it was, all right, here we go. All right, our man, I'm going to use his name because it's, it's too good. Taylor chimes in. He goes, in life, self-awareness is key. I consider myself a pretty self-aware person. I know uh, what parts of my personality to highlight, which ones to let lay low. That said, the simple fact is I am super into Dave Matthews Band. I have been since I was 15, and I love them more today at 30 than I ever have. I've seen them 17 times, and to be honest, as far as DMB fans go, that's actually not that many. Here's my problem. I'm self-aware enough to know that being a DMB guy isn't the number one way to make friends. I've yet to meet the person who just loves to taking a conversation in the direction of an extended two-step jam from 1997 or about that time Carter threw sticks into the crowd mid-Rapunzel. But sometimes trying to not pay myself as DMB guy starts to make me feel like I'm suppressing something I'm super into. I just want to share what I love. I want to talk about them. I want to introduce people to them. I want to bring them up. There are a lot more important <laughs> things that make up who I am um, that I talk about regularly, but this is just a fun aspect of me I never bring up. Surely you try to avoid being painted as overly Celtics guy or tool guy, right? Yet you really love talking about them, I'm sure. How can I talk about them and not become DMB guy? Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> this sentence, I was I was cracking up when I read it. I'm, this is the third time I've read this and I keep laughing. I think it's this sentence. 
But sometimes trying to not paint myself as Dave Matthews Band guy starts to make me feel like I'm suppressing something I'm (laughs) super into. I just want to share what I love. I want to talk about them. I want to introduce people to them. I want to bring them up. I don't know what happened, Taylor. I'm with you. How come Dave Matthews became like the, the joke band to bring up? Those guys fucking rock. Um, my, my Dave Matthews band history is incredible. And I'm going to share this with you, Taylor, because we're just going to talk about, and everybody else wants to turn off the pod now. Go ahead. I was a high school graduate, Martha's Vineyard. That's 93 heading into UVM. Although I wasn't sure if I was going to go to UVM or St. Mike's. I would, I did both deposit guy. Um, not privilege actually was expensive and screwed me out of some of my summer, summer earnings, but I wasn't sure what I want to want to go to school. Back then, early 90s, Martha's Vineyard, there was a party literally every single night. There was always some beach or some house or somebody's parents were gone and you know, you're ready to just go. And music was a big part of those summers. I just was really starting to explore the space musically. And I heard this, this bootleg cassette tape of this guy singing and the violin and the acoustic guitar and the whole deal and the horns. And I'm like, what is this? And the guy's like, oh, this is Dave. I'm from Virginia, you know? And I was like, oh my God, this is, what is this? I was like, this is incredible. And I was working at a music store at the time on Martha's Vineyard, right? So I was like, look, man, you gotta, I go, can, is there any way I can, I can dub one of these? I was like, I'll give you a discount on CDs, come into the CD store tomorrow. And we're, we're planning it out. We're high five in it. You know, it's all love. And then of course, you know, like a lot of meetings that are organized over a few course lights, people don't show up for those meetings. So the next day I was like, God, I was like, Dave Matthews band, huh? So I start researching it while I'm working at the music store, because back then there's no internet. And I found this record company, I think it was Bama Rags. It was, and they, the remember two things where you would try to see the cool little hidden scene in in the CD cover uh, that was going to come out later that year. And I got in touch with this guy, Chris, and I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. Like, what is this stuff? And the guy's taking me through the whole thing. It was this whole Charlottesville deal. And this company, Bama Rags, started sending the CDs to me um, for the for the you know the CD shop that I worked at. And I remember the boss who ran the place was like, "How many of these did you order?" I was like, five. He's like, "You're." He was like, "Give me," you know. He wasn't like a mean boss. He just was looking at me, eye rolling, being like, "You're an idiot." He's like, "I can't believe you'd order." Nobody knows who this guy is. Whatever. And I was like, "All right, fine, whatever." And then I'd gone to school. You had to like find a way to order the recently CD online. It was really hard. But then they started really blowing up my freshman year. I guess being in Vermont, like it's a classic, you know, fish. Widespread was a big deal. I saw widespread at a church on <laughs> campus. But the music was so different. It was just so different. It was it was artsy, folksy, jazzy. So they became kind of this punchline, like or is a punchline or is it OAR? I don't know, Kyle. You're going to help me out on that one. I'll Google it because I got no idea. Yeah, there you go. Locked in. Um, I don't know what happened because I saw him again recently with my man, big man, Eric Chenoweth, who brought me to that show in San Francisco for the Super Bowl when he cut, I think, 15,000 people in line and no one said anything to him because he's seven one plus maybe. And I just walked behind him. Um, and they were they were incredible again. It's just different. So I, I think it just became people. People got so into them that the people that just like Taylor who got so into them, then you became kind of a laughing stock. Like you became the joke, and the jokes on the other people, Taylor, that don't appreciate the music. 
I mean, there are plenty of bands that people like and don't like, but there became this attachment that if you were, you know, khaki shorts, um, Burks. Yeah, Birkenstocks. I don't know, because I'm going to I'm going to like. There's different looks now, but the big thing for our crew was like the rowing shirt. I think I had one. I, you know, I didn't go to choke. I didn't row. I don't even like rowing for like a minute now to warm up. Um, game hat, Cox, shout out. You know, it's just that was you became this very, very identical, like, especially when you're going to college and you kind of like try to reinvent yourself a little bit. And it's like, OK, wait a minute. Everybody's wearing the exact same thing. Like, God damn it. Pat- Patagonia vests are sold out. Ah, Pete has one and I don't. Pete has three Patagonia vests. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's that because the Dave Matthews thing, whether it was back to me and prep school kids and New England college kids and then it carrying on now for this is almost three decades now this that the person got made for fun of more than the band so to share one more dave story with you let's go to 94 fall i don't know if um under the table and dreaming i think it had just come out yeah september 94 of course i knew that immediately so september 94 so that fall they were doing their big tour again and I'd had this background. I kept ordering the CDs special order because I during the summer I would go back. So that meant 94 summer I would go back. And you know, it's Martha's Vineyard. I'd play the CD relentlessly in the music show. Every time, every time somebody asked me, what is this? I would hit the tracks for it and they would buy it. We couldn't keep it. We were selling so many of these. I kept getting a special order all the time from uh, again, I think it was Chris Bamarex. Shout out. And so that we went to Club Soda in Montreal and it was all UVM kids and then St. Lawrence kids. And Montreal's unbelievable. It's even better when you're 18 or 19 and you don't care. And the venue was called Club Soda. And you know, maybe 200 of us are in there. You know, everybody's pre-gaming and, and you would have probably gotten some dumpy hotel right in town and then walked to the venue and maybe taken a cab. I don't know. And because it was still a little warmer, I was wearing sandals, but I wasn't a Birkenstock guy because that was for that was for losers, right? I think it was Tevas. I had to have been. And I don't even know now if they're pronounced Teva or Teva, but I, we call them Tevas. And clearly we would all been drinking and I made my way all the way up to the front. And, you know, you're in front, whatever. I actually even remember the girl that I was kind of like dancing with. And I, you know, I mean, so this is me, peak 19, like whatever. And for whatever reason, I think it's because I'd been drinking and it was also just having that much fun because it was just an electric crowd, 200 small place. Matt, Dave Matthews even said during the concert, he's like, hey, we're, we're going to be moving to Montreal. And everyone's like, yeah. And no one was from Canada in the crowd. And my right foot started getting really cold. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I looked down and it's covered in blood. It's totally covered in blood. And it's because I'd worn sandals to a fucking concert and people were drinking. The St. Lawrence kids were out of control. They made UVM kids look like frauds. But St. Lawrence kids were smashing glasses, pint glasses on the dance floor. No one really was doing anything because it wasn't like a normal venue. It was it was a very small spot that sold tickets and, and people went. So I cut my foot, not bad, but bad enough that it kept bleeding on glass. And then I put my foot up on the front of the stage to look at it. And I was like, ooh, it was all covered in blood. And Dave Matthews in the middle of a guitar solo looks down and is like, hey, are you all right? Are you all right? And I was like, no, but I was like, I don't know what's going on. And then he just said, hey, come up on stage. So I get up on stage because he wants to make sure my foot's going to be okay. 
And I turn around and see all my goon buddies in the back. And now they can't figure out why I'm on stage with Dave Matthews in the middle of a long extended jam, extended Taylor. And I look back at them and I start doing an old Doyle rules thing, hands up in the air. And then I'm thinking, man, this is great. It's the end of the show. I'll be hanging out with these guys backstage, probably become close friends, maybe take a year off, travel with these guys, who knows, maybe get a Jeep. And they brought me in the back and there was like a dishwasher who hosed off my foot and then taped it up with a first aid kit band-aid. And then because I had to leave the kitchen, I felt bad for that guy. I had to leave the kitchen. I had to go back around the back. So then I lost my spot in the front of watching the show. And then that was it. And then ironically, a few days later, we went to go see them uh, down at Lansdowne Street in Boston behind Fenway Park. I forget the name of the place. I don't know if it was Bill's. I don't think it was Bill's. It was a bigger venue than that. And um, I was walking down the street because we were at some girl's apartment in Kenmore Square and I wanted to go for a walk. And as I was walking through town, I, uh, I ran into Dave Matthews. I was like, hey, man, what's up? And I was like, I'm Ryan. I was like, I cut my foot. And he, as I said, I cut my foot. He interrupted me and said, your foot. I was like, yeah, that's me. He's like, I was like, yeah, we're UVM guys. We, we came down. He's like, all right, Ryan, enjoy the show. I was like, all right, thanks, Dave. See you around. <laughs> See you around, buddy. Hey, when I get pretty famous, uh, we should catch up. So that's my Dave Matthews story. So don't apologize for it, man. But I like your self-awareness. I think your whole thing is fine because you don't want to do it all the time. I don't tell that story all the time. I think I've told it twice. Did I tell that story before on this podcast, Kyle? Never, check never before heard. I've definitely told it. I think I told it on the air radio once. I'm not sure. Probably not that long. I've said these uh, advice need to be a little bit quicker, but that one's strictly for Taylor. So there you go. I didn't give you really any advice. I just told you a story. But the point is, I enjoyed telling you because you appreciated it. So you just got to find the right people. But don't be overbearing about it. People don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. Not everybody gets it. But don't apologize for it. It's not like you're into Oasis or something. <laughs> Talk to you Wednesday. Wednesday.